Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 232. Today's big Bible question is, how do we have peace with God? So hello, friends. Welcome to another wild, weird, and surreal pandemic weekend. Two short episodes for the weekend, and the first one is pure gospel. I guess the second one could be pure gospel, too. I don't know. I haven't written it yet. Our readings for the day are 1 Samuel 4 and 5, Jeremiah 43, Psalms 19, and Romans chapter 5. Now, I'm very surprised that Romans 5 isn't one of the more well-known Bible passages out there, as it is absolutely full of wonderful gospel nuggets of gold. Consider these short, power-packed passages. I'm not going to read the verses. This is just phrases from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome. Because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Or how about, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's one of the best, uh, most succinct gospel passages in all the Bible. Or, if by one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many? Or, If by the one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? How about, so then as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone? Or, For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Or, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. And the last one, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, just so much meaty and nutritious gospel goodness in this one chapter I hardly know what to focus on. So let's read the chapter as a whole. And I know we just read a big chunk of it. And uh, I just think it's worthy of us hearing more than once, maybe multiple times. It's so good and so deep and so uh, spiritually nutritious. So this is Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, Will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received this reconciliation. Therefore, 
Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man Jesus Christ overflowed to the many? And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one man, talking about Adam, came the judgment resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. If by the one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through the righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a glorious chapter, and not at all an easy one to understand by any means. But it's like Paul has challenged himself to repeat the good news in as many ways as possible in just one small section of his letter to the Romans. So let's turn to our old friend John Piper for some great insights out of Romans chapter 5. And Piper says, Because of justification, and remember we already talked about that, justification means we are made just or righteous in the eyes of God. Because of justification, we now have peace with God. Through this peace with God, says Piper, we have entered into a sphere and power of grace which keeps us standing until we inherit the glory of God. And he quotes Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How are we to understand this peace with God? The picture I think Paul has in mind is brought into sharper focus in Romans 5 verse 10. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life. What this shows is that the picture in Paul's mind is that there is enmity between us and God. God is angry at us for our sins, says Romans 1.18, and we are hostile to God in rebellion against his authority, says Romans 8.7-8. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. God's anger And our ungodliness is our main problem in life. If God is resolved to pour out his wrath and punishment on us, we are in a terrifying position. Imagine the power of God behind his wrath. When you look up into the sky on a clear night, you can see what's called the Milky Way. That's the name of our galaxy. It has at least 200 billion stars in it, they say. You can see maybe a 40 millionth of them on a good night. The disk of the Milky Way is about 100,000 light years across, which is about 600,000 trillion miles and 2,000 light years thick. Our sun will take about 200,000 years to make a circuit. 
And besides our galaxy, there are, some estimate, 50 million other galaxies. Now, the God we are talking about here in Romans made this universe with a mere command. He simply spoke and all the galaxies came into being, and he holds them in being by the word of his power. This God is so great that any attempt to portray his greatness falls infinitely far short. But what we can see and feel is this, that if such a great God is angry at us and has such indescribable power to back up his anger, then we are in the worst of all possible conditions. Nothing can be worse than to be opposed by the wrath of infinite power. And that was our situation. God is revealing his wrath against our ungodliness and will bring it to a climax in the last day of judgment, says Romans 2.4. Our only hope is if God may provide a way of reconciliation himself. And verse 10 tells us that he has. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. This happened because Jesus Christ bore our sins and fulfilled our righteousness. Now by faith we are united to Christ, so his righteousness is imputed or credited to us. And the result is peace. God is no longer angry with us. We are reconciled. There is no condemnation. Christ died for our sins and fulfilled a perfect righteousness. We saw it and believed, and we were justified by this faith. The righteousness of Christ was imputed or credited to us. The enmity between God and us was taken away, and there was peace. We entered through that peace into a sphere and reign of grace where the infinite power of God no longer works against us, but for us, so that the promise is guaranteed. Grace will reign unto eternal life, says Romans 5.21. The justified will be glorified, says Romans 8.30, and therefore we exult and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is the most urgent news for all the nations of the world. Without it, they are under the wrath of God for the punishment of their sins, just as you are this morning or this afternoon when you're listening to this, if you don't trust in Christ. So, for your own sake and for the sake of the nations, trust Christ, follow him in faith, believe in him, receive peace with God by Jesus, enter into this way of omnipotent grace, and exult in the hope of the glory of God. Amen. Well, let's continue reading. First Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod, brought it into the temple of Dagon, and placed it next to his statue. When the people of Ashdod got up early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen with his face to the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and returned him to his place. But when they got up early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen with his face to the ground before the Ark of the Lord. This time, Dagon's head, Dagon's head and both of his hands were broken off and lying on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso remained. That is why, still today, the priests of Dagon and everyone who enters the temple of Dagon in Ashdod do not step on Dagon's threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod. He terrified the people of Ashdod and its territory and afflicted them with tumors. When the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the Ark of Israel's God must not stay here with us because his hand is strongly against us and our God Dagon. So they called all the Philistine rulers together and asked, What should we do with the Ark of Israel's God? The Ark of Israel's God should be moved to Gath, they replied. So they moved the Ark of Israel's God. After they moved it, the Lord's hand was against the city of Gath, causing a great panic. He afflicted the people of the city from the youngest to the oldest with an outbreak of tumors. The people of Gath then sent the god, the Ark of God to Ekron. But when it got there, the Ekronites cried out, They've moved the Ark of Israel's God to us to kill us and our people. 
The Ekronites called the Philistine rulers together, and they said, Send the ark of Israel's God away. Send it to return to its place so it won't kill us and our people. For the fear of death pervaded the city. God's hand was oppressing them. Those who did not die were afflicted with tumors, and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. When the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory for seven months, the Philistines summoned the priests and the diviners and pleaded, What should we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we can send it back to its place. They replied, If you send the ark of Israel's God away, do not send it without an offering. Send back a guilt offering to him and you will be healed. Then the reason his hand hasn't been removed from you will be revealed. And they asked, What guilt offering should we send back to him? And they answered, Five gold tumors and five mice, corresponding to the number of Philistine rulers, since there was one plague for both you and your rulers. Make images of your tumors and of the mice that are destroying the land. Give glory to Israel's God, and perhaps he will stop oppressing you, your gods, and your land. Why harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened theirs? When he afflicted them, didn't they send Israel away and Israel left? Now then, prepare one new cart and two milk cows that have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pin them up. Take the ark of the Lord, place it on the cart, and put the gold objects that you are sending him as a guilt offering in a box beside the ark. Send it off and let it go its way. Then watch. If it goes up the road to its homeland toward Beth Shemesh, it is the Lord who has made this terrible trouble for us. However, if it doesn't, we will know that it was not his hand that punished us. It was just something that happened to us by chance. And the men did this. They took two milk cows, hitched them to the cart, and confined their calves in the pen. Then they put the ark of the Lord on the cart along with the box containing the gold mice and the images of their tumors. The cows went straight up the road to Beth Shemesh. They stayed on that one highway, lowing as they went. They never strayed to the right or to the left. The Philistine rulers were walking behind them to the territory of Beth Shemesh. The people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting wheat in the valley, and when they looked up and saw the ark, they were overjoyed to see it. The cart came to the field of Joshua Beth Shemesh and stopped there near a large rock. The people of the city chopped up the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites removed the Ark of the Lord along with a box containing the gold objects and placed them on the large rock. That day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. When the five Philistine rulers observed this, they returned to Ekron that same day. As a guilt offering to the Lord, the Philistines had sent back one gold tumor for each city, Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. The number of gold mice also corresponded to the number of Philistine cities of the five rulers, the fortified cities and the outlying villages. The large rock on which the Ark of the Lord was placed is still in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh today. God struck down the people of Beth Shemesh because they looked inside the Ark of the Lord. He struck down 70 persons. The people mourned because the Lord struck them with a great slaughter. The people of Beth Shemesh asked, Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom should the ark go from here? They sent messengers to the residents of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and get it. Jeremiah chapter 43. When Jeremiah had finished speaking to all the people all the words of the Lord their God, all these words the Lord their God had sent him to give them, then Azariah, son of Hoshiah, Johanan, son of Keriah, 
And all the other arrogant men responded to Jeremiah, You are speaking a lie. The Lord our God has not sent you to say you must not go to Egypt to stay there for a while. Rather, Baruch, son of Neriah, is inciting you against us to hand us over to the Chaldeans to put us to death or to deport us to Babylon. So Yohanan, son of Keriah, all the commanders of the armies and all the people failed to obey the Lord's command to stay in the land of Judah. Instead, Yohanan, son of Keriah, and all the commanders of the armies led away the whole remnant of Judah, those who had returned to stay in the land of Judah from all the nations where they had been banished. They led away the men, women, children, king's daughters, and everyone whom Nebuzaradan, captain of the guards, had allowed to remain with Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan. They also led the prophet Jeremiah and Baruch, son of Neriah, away. They went to the land of Egypt because they did not obey the Lord. They went as far as Tappins. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah at Tappins. Pick up some large stones and set them in the border of the brick pavement that is at the opening of Pharaoh's palace at Tappins. Do this in the sight of the Judean men and tell them, This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. I will send for my servant, servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and I will place his throne on these stones that I have embedded, and he will pitch his pavilion over them. He will come and strike down the land of Egypt, those destined for death to death, those destined for captivity to captivity, and those destined for the sword to the sword. I will kindle a fire in the temples of Egypt's gods, and he will burn them and take them captive. He will clean the land of Egypt as a shepherd picks lives off his clothes, and he will leave them leave there unscathed. He will smash the sacred pillars of the sun temples in the land of Egypt and burn the temples of the Egyptian gods. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to their other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The commander of the Lord is the command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from within, from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That is a powerful and wonderful place to end, so I'm going to read it again. May it be true of you and me. May the Lord bless you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Good day and Godspeed.